This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, 1.58 Seconds, and the author is Dr. Alfred Sparman, and Dr. Sparman joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Dr. Hey, how are you doing there, Steve? And you guys are there, man. You guys, <laughs> listen, you got to read his book. Readable, <laughs> short, nice, 140 pages or something like that. You're going on a plane, take this book up. You wouldn't stop. Once you start reading it, you wouldn't stop. Engaging, that's the that's word That's exactly use. right. I was just about to say that because it hooks you right at the very beginning because there you are with an intruder in your apartment. There you go. Yes. What in. to do for? What does a doctor do? Does he shoot him and then revive him? What does he do? Right? What does he do? Yeah. <laughs> we talk. You talk about uh, uh, confusion, and you talk about being there, and and poetic justice, and you talk about uh, do or don't pushing and pulling. All of those things come <laughs> into your mind. You're supposed to be saving lives. Well, another, another. Oh, you said, listen, I will save lives. Now you got a guy in your apartment. You got a family there with you. What do you do? What yeah. do you do? Where, where, tell you. where most doctors <laughs> write complicated medical textbooks, uh, this right. book is medical knowledge, but it captures it in a different way. You're you're explaining it in a fictional way, and that's what you love to do. You love to communicate. Exactly. That's, that's what I'm about. I mean, my life is based on that. I see patients, been, for the past 30 years, I've been seeing patients, man, and it's just communicating, sitting down there, getting information from patients, counter-transferring, giving them information and so forth. And life in itself, man, is a puzzle, extreme puzzle. So uh, this book here is centered about living and dying. What happens, man? Why? What Steve is here. Steve is here for how many years? Let's say <laughs> 50, 60 years. And you're telling me that after he's dead, he's gone, no more Steve, the world continues? No, 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 no. It's more than that. And you're an interventional cardiologist. Mm-hmm. Tell us what that means. Well, uh, basically... People who've got blocked arteries, the whole arterial network is, is set up in such a way that as we get older, just like the, the, the plumbing system of the, uh, of the house, you buy a new house 10 years down the line, you've got a clogging of pipes, the plumber has to come. Same way, the, you get older, especially people who've got high, a lot of risk factors for heart disease, family history, diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, those type of things. Some of them are more predisposed at an earlier age for heart disease and blockages. So you get chest pain, you go in there, you see a blocked artery. Uh, some cardiologists uh, would send them to me because I'm top of the line. I'm the guy that will fix it. Long ago, you open the chest and you bypass the arteries, most people, but now we have a lesser invasive option. You go in there through the leg, a nice small little tube, and put some stents <laughs> in those blocked arteries, and you're ready to go the same day. Well, this book that, is very different. Uh, it's a fictional novel that takes you through mm. nerve-ending near-death episodes, and the main character is you. 
Yeah, listen, I've had so many near-death experiences. I tell you right now that I am concerned. I know that I have a plan in this world. I got something that is not done yet. I'm riding in Greece. And myself and my buddy, we are, it was second year of medical school, and I'm on the motorcycle. We're on two nice Kawasaki, riding in an island called the Eos. Uh, Mykonos and Eos. Well, Eos is the one we were on. And he was riding in front of me, and he's just taking his time. I said, what's the matter with you? You can't ride a motorcycle? I said, let me show you how to take these turns. Now, the thing is, though, every turn, there's a 100-foot drop on it. A hundred foot drop on all about eleven turns, uh, these these blind turns and ears, and out of those eleven, ten had a hundred foot drop. If you come off of this, so people drive slowly, you run off. There's no railing, man. You go down there. You you check out. Anyway, I, it's only afterwards, uh, in retrospect, I look back to see what happened. I'm riding, and you should see me. I, I'm taking a turn, blind turn, fast, going like like 56 miles an hour. And when I got around, guess what I saw? A big truck. <laughs> now I have to decide, either I go onto the truck. Oh, my goodness. Or run right off, or turn, make, a, make, a, make right. a right flip, and come off the road. I took the right flip. Do you know that was the one out of the 11 that didn't have the 100-foot drop? Wow. How do you explain that, man? Right. Well, wasn't your time, uh, right? Wasn't, wasn't your time. Wasn't my time, man. That was just one of them. Right. But then, in that split second, when you know that you're about to die, the brain accelerates in you. All the things that you think about your family, and this is split second, but the brain moves at miles and uh, probably 10,000 miles an hour, and what it does, it'll, you'll think about your daughter, you'll think about your wife, you'll think about your, uh, your, your mother, you think about everything and what will happen, and all these things together in that split second. And that's the near that experience, and we've had a few of that in that book, and I've had a patient who uh, came in, actually, and uh, he had that experience there. And so it's something I wanted to write about, but I did it in a story form, so engaging, indeed. And you have different characters. We have, let's see, you have Dana. Now, who is Dana? Yeah, Dana is it's one of the nurses that had a crush on me. You know, she uh, had some bad experiences uh, with about old boyfriends. And for some reason, she came in to work at the Common Rock Clinic, which is one of the, is a heart, is a heart hospital. I'm the CEO of that hospital. And it's a hospital that governs cardiology in the in entire Caribbean. So patients are coming from all over the place, all over the Caribbean here, because we have um, cutting-edge type of cardiology. However, um, even patients from Canada and the States and Europe, they come here once a year um, to have the treatment because you know we we, we do give, give, give good service actually. So uh, Dana came on and work and she was my one of my scrub nurses and she was working with me, but I didn't know that she had a crush on me, man. So apart from working, man, she just was just excited seeing this guy built in a nice club doing surgery and you know saving lives, man. People. Are, about the checkout, and he's bringing them back. So, you know, it fascinated her. And then there's Rosa. Aha, Rosa's the one. Well, that is why book number two, I want, I want everybody to read this book number one, because book number two is coming. Rosa was extremely attractive, 
extremely attractive. It, Rosie's the type of girl when she walks by, you have to stop. And Rosie's really, she really happened. I was in Memorial Wealth Hospital um, in, in Temple Pines. I, was, I just came out of my fellowship in cardiology, and I was an attending physician there. But I was in the lobby speaking to a drug representative who's telling me about a certain drug I should use for my patients. And this beautiful angel passed by with a bouquet of flowers. I stopped. I turned. I looked at her. I said, goodness, who is that? You know what I did? I still remember. I, I didn't ask the guy to excuse me. I followed her. <laughs> I forgot I was speaking to somebody and followed her and asked if the roses were for me. And she, the smile was so, so captivating that, you know, I talked to her, told her I was working there and so forth. And you know what happened? The next day, I got a call from the lobby. Somebody was there to see me. It was Rosa. <laughs> so Rosa is a part of the book, but it's one young lady. I always think of her because we had a beautiful relationship. But in next book, the next book, I'm going to give you guys a, a preview of what's going to happen. She came back, man. Somebody sent her uh, to kill me, and, I, and that's how I'm going to exit that book. <laughs> and then my double, my double will come in and start doing some real terrible things. So that's where we're going. Well, and then there's the character who you call comical. That's Bobby. Oh, yeah, Bobby. <laughs> Bobby is this, this gentleman. I, you, you, Bobby actually is a fellow who I typified somebody that works with me, uh, or, or would have worked with me, actually. And he's a nice, very silent fellow, but good at what he does. But this particular case, the surgery we're doing, he thought to himself, no, nah, this guy's gone. So Bobby was there at the table looking at the trans, like in a trance, frozen. What will happen, man? What's going to happen? Are we going to have a stiff or this thing is going to come out? So that's the type of Bobby that we had there. He was one of the technicians helping in the cat lab. We have the people who help out with all the technical aspect of the surgery and so forth. And then Jimmy, Jimmy Smith, his heart stopped. That was uh, everything all of a sudden, as you say, it seems like to go into slow motion. There you go, man. Jimmy was there. Everything's going good. We did one. I fixed one artery, the second artery. I'm going in there to fix, and boom, heart stop, flat line. And then I'm standing there, and time just said, oh, my goodness, he's gone. His eyes are rolling up, and everybody's looking at me. And the part I like in that, you know, I, I use a very nice, and I look back, and I read this book over and over again. I said, man, I can't believe that I phrased this thing like this. I said, I could see uh, I think with Sherry running in slow motion somebody said something flat line but I don't know who it was but then what the part that I said that I said take me out and we have anarchy in other words I was the leader there you take me out he's gone so everybody's sitting there mouth open or standing actually and waiting for the directions from the guy the leader and I guided them through the whole thing, and they ended well. <laughs> Interesting stuff, man. Well, you have seen people right on the edge of death. Obviously, probably people have died in your operation rooms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about I've this? Seen, what about uh -huh. this out-of-body experiences? 
Yeah, yeah. And that's that's it. And matter of fact, I'm going to uh, get you guys, if anybody's listening out there, okay, you get in within a month, go on YouTube, I talk. That's a blog I want to start, that out-of-body experience, because I had a few patients, well, whom would, uh, when I would come in and do surgery in them or so, and they would, for the heart stops, and they would say, listen, dog, I saw you working on me. And then the heart starts again, they get back in there. So there's an entity that separates the body from the spirit or the soul. So there are two different entities. So we have the shell that a divine or a spiritual entity is living in. And when they separate, that's what death is about. Where does that spirit go? Why some people, when, they, when that spirit leaves the body, it does not come back? And why some people come back? All of those things. All of those things. So I've had a few, I had this lady who, once I was leaving the hospital, a doctor called me and said, Dr. Sparman, come back, come back, come back. Got a patient here, just coded. Well, that's the word they use for people who just dies. Ran up there, ladies there, pale as a hearse, and heart, no heart rate, nothing of the third. So I... Uh, Sorry about that. Yeah, doctor's phone always rings. Yeah, so so here I am. I, I came back up, started to work on her. And after working incessantly for four to five minutes, I got some heart rate, I got some blood pressure, put her in all kind of medicines, put her in a uh, breathing machine and so forth. And three days later, I came back to see how she was doing, you know. She says, I know you. I saw you. I says, oh, good. She, says, I didn't, she was my patient the first time. I saw her was then she and she was she was out she was gone she says I, I says where did you see me she says I didn't see you from right here I saw you from the ceiling I saw you working on me and exactly what she said I would have done is exactly I have one pattern I always give that precordial thump where I take my fist and hit the chest when a patient uh, would have, when the heart stops. It's like a jump start, um, like we do for cars that normally uh, stops for the battery problems. And Steve, I will tell you, listeners out there, I'll tell you this right now. If one thing I'm going to tell you, two things i tell you to do. If you've got a family member or friend, and they, for some reason, you come in and you see that they stop breathing or the heart stop, put them to lay down and take your fist and Real hard, hit them in the center of their chest, just in the, like the, the, the way the rib cage is in the center, and the breastplate, they will call it. One hard thump, and most times you get them back. And then when they, when they, get, when they come around, give them a baby aspirin. <laughs> I tell you right now, I say that to everybody. Everybody should have an aspirin, a bottle of aspirin in their house. And something like that happened. Just hit them hard. They might say, oh, you here. Oh, don't worry about it. Break a rib. I don't care. You'll save the life. Now, why did you put a glossary at the end with medical terminology? Because the read, and it's very cumbersome for people to read and don't understand what a word is and have to go up the net or go into the dictionary to find out what it is. I figure if I put a glossary right there, they read that book there on the plane, they understand the whole thing because I know medical terminology is crazy. People don't understand. We doctors have some problems sometimes. My brother is a criminal lawyer right now in New York, and I wrote a prescription for him, and he was reading some of the side effects of this stuff. And this guy is so articulate. 
articulate, Steve. If your eye is green, he will convince you that it's not. It's blue. And then when he's finished <laughs> with you, you're doubting yourself. But still, having this guy read to me now, he was reading from New York, said, what is the uh, side effects? He read it for me. Couldn't read the literature. Latin, different. <laughs> so the grassroots to help everybody or the layman. So on all the things that would have given people trouble understanding the book, it's at the back there in the grassroots. The title of the book is 1.58 Seconds, and the author is Dr. Alfred Sparman. He's talking to us from Barbados. Dr. Sparman, tell us how to get your book. You can go on Amazon.com, iUniverse.com, eBooks. If you just point in, you just punch in, and the internet 1.58 seconds, it'll show up. And how you can get it? How you can purchase? As a matter of fact, eBooks, all of that. You can get it in that way. Um, it's relatively cheap, good read, easy read, and extremely, extremely engaging. And your next book will be out when? I probably by the end of the year, the next book is going to be a, a good, a great continuation. But guys, uh, Dr. Sparman has got a double, and the double is going to be doing, you imagine, you heard about these doctors who go about doing all kind of stuff, the quack doctors, that's who he's going to be. This guy is going to, he's been, well, as a matter of fact, I should tell you, Steve, since we were growing up, this twin brother always wanted to be me, but he couldn't. So he figured, well, listen, the best way to do it is take me out and then start practicing medicine. Then we take it from there. <laughs> well, it's been a real thrill to have you with us, Dr. Sparman. We appreciate your enthusiasm and, and all your service. We appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Alfred. Look up for the next, look up for the next book, Steve. I will. Thanks again for being with us. Have a nice one. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom, Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central, on Toginat with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website, and thus, NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Bomb with Jill Hickey, Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Innovation and insight, problems and solutions, capitalizing on your ideas and efforts. That's all a part of Changing the World One Invention at a Time with Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on toginet.com. Rick will be sharing stories of innovation, invention, inspiration, and overcoming obstacles with guests who have been there, done that, and are doing that. Rick will be asking the right questions helping you identify the real problems and showing you how to act on your ideas by increasing consumer confidence and, more importantly, increasing your confidence to act on your ideas. For even more information, go to thinktech, that's T-E-K, globally.com. Then join us as Rick and his guest teaches how to develop new ideas and create new products, new businesses, new jobs. And together, let's get our economy growing again. It's changing the world one invention at a time. 
with author and inventor Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Polixena, and the author is H. Allinger, and Herb joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Herb. Hi, how are you? Well, it isn't for a timid soul to write Greek mythology. <laughs> you, you, uh, it's uh, obviously very demanding, and yet you love it because it works on the emotions, right? Yes, yes. It's, uh, Greek mythology is very uh, moving. Uh, you know, you relate to the characters. They uh, they reflect real life situations, and uh, and it's easy to identify with their pain and their sorrows and their their ambitions and their you know all of their uh, emotional highs. So, what inspired you to do this? To especially to focus on this character. Well, it's been in the back of my mind for a long time. I uh, I um, thought about uh, she's an obscure character, but uh, and her claim to fame is through her death. And I decided I would um, write about how she came to this end. And she tells the story in her own words. It's written in the first person, and I conceived the story as. Uh, her confiding her thoughts to the goddess Aphrodite, whom she holds responsible for uh, the things that have happened to her. So the reader, in essence, is Aphrodite, and she, um, you know, she tells her story to the reader in the first person. So give us a little background on Polixena. Polixena is the youngest daughter, or was the youngest daughter of King Priam of Troy. Her claim to fame is that she was sacrificed by the Greeks after Troy falls to ensure their smooth sailing back to Greece. Um, so in essence, she is the last casualty of the Trojan War. And what I have done in my book, I have... Uh, tied the story into uh, a love affair and an unrequited love affair. And it's that type of uh, situation that uh, leads to her downfall. And she she is basically searching for the meaning of her life, isn't she? Because she knows what could come. She is, yes. She, um, she's trying to make sense out of uh, how all this happened. The, the way the book is constructed is in the first chapter and the last chapter of the book, she is in the, her present setting. And, she, and the in-between chapters are actually a flashback. So she's searching for solace in trying to understand how it came about and hoping she'll find the courage to uh, face her death. And some, one of the themes that you deal with is this grief that comes with death and the acceptance of its reality. Well, in, in the book is meant to, uh, basically, it's, it's, it's a search for solace. She, she knows she is going to die, and she's trying to work up the courage, and she's trying to 
she's trying to seek the answer that uh, the reason for her death is not futile that it uh, that it it has meaning for her and uh, in the end she finds her answer well the book is a love story tell us about the romance okay there are it's both a love and unrequited love uh, Polixena is known to have uh, fallen in love with Achilles, and he fell in love with her. And that part of the story follows the myth. Now, after Achilles is killed... And, of course, he's the enemy. It's a forbidden love. uh, Highly frowned upon by her brothers who think she is betraying Troy. And, in fact, they use her love to lure Achilles to his death. They, uh, they fabricate the story that uh, she has been banished from the court because of her love for the enemy warlord Achilles and that he can pick her up at the main gate before the next battle. Achilles comes for her and uh, Paris and Deiphobus, the other brother, they ambush him and they kill him. This, all this is in the mythology, so that kind of follows the mythology. A, a, a month later, after uh, Achilles' death, uh, Neoptolemus, his son, comes to Troy. And they meet while she is in one of her rides on her favorite horse, Zephyrus, during a lull of the fighting. And uh, he is smitten by her. He falls in love with her. But she, she is not in love with him. So the tension starts increasing as they have subsequent meetings. Her father, Priam, wants her to spy on, to kind of get information out of Neoptolemus, because being smitten by her love, he, uh, he's uh, ready to tell her anything. So she doesn't really want to have meetings with him because she knows there's a lot of tension there, but her father talks her into continuing these meetings. Neoptolemus uh, is under the illusion that she is in love with him. And after Troy falls, he claims her for his prize. And it's then that he finds out that she's not really in love with him. And um, he, um, you know, he's filled with rage. And then he contrives the story that uh, dooms Polixena. Now, your book also has an anti-war theme. Yes, it does. It's, um, well, war is the real antagonist of my novel. It's, um, it's basically war's cruelty that, uh, you know, how it affects Polixena. She's a, she's a young teenage girl, uh, you know, and she, uh, but she has good qualities. She's, uh, you know, she's, uh, she has a forgiving nature and... And she, um, you know, uh, feels empathy. That's why she's able to even fall in love with Achilles, who is the enemy. And, uh, and, but the war's cruelty prevails on her, and it, um, you know, in the end, uh, she, um, in spite of, um, you know, trying to stay above the, uh, above the cruelty and all, all the savagery of war, uh, she finally, you know, she does succumb to its cruelty in the end. Well, she sounds like a very ideal, idealistic woman, but as you point out, she's not without faults. Oh, yes. She's, uh, 
she's a she's your average type of well she's she's smarter than the average she's very precocious she's uh she has some wisdom uh she's probably uh more intelligent than your average seventeen year old but you know but she has you know she does um have feelings of jealousy uh Helen's beauty gets to her every once in a while. Helen is another, you know, another character in the novel. Um, the famous Helen of Troy, known for her beauty. Um, so she has all the, you know, she has all the emotional problems that any uh, teenage girl would have, I think. Well, you call her the sweet girl next door type, but she's caught up in this whirlwind of these cruel times. Yes, yes. That's where war, you know, that's where the war theme comes in or the anti-war theme because the war really inflicts um inflicts great pain and suffering on her and again as we said at the beginning about greek mythology it works on the emotions and it's a, a way to observe human behavior yes yes it's um it, it has um you know all the passion and the heartache and the pain and the and the regrets, and it's got everything that's associated with human life. Well, it must have been very challenging writing the book. Well, uh, actually, I uh, I didn't have much problems with it. I uh, I knew what I wanted to write, and I uh, started out, and um, it kind of um, I was motivated throughout writing it, and never got writer's block or anything. Uh, it um, there were some chapters I might have been worried about, but uh, in the end, I pulled it off, and they're pretty credible. Now, you said you had the most fun with the Amazon commander. What is his name? Uh, and it's her, Antiope. Oh, Antiope. You have yeah. that was a fun she's, character. Yes, yeah, she's a uh, she's very interesting. She's a true Amazon. By that I mean she really loves men, <laughs> and. Uh, um, but uh, she falls in love with um, Polixena, and Polixena falls in love with her. That's actually her first love in this novel. It's between her and uh, Antiope. So Antiope, as you describe her, stunningly beautiful, intelligent, competent, and she tells Polixena, no man will ever possess me. Yes, that's true. <laughs> That's a true, she's a true Amazon. I think the readers will find her fascinating. Yeah. Go ahead. I think the, uh, it, it has all the uh, features that uh, Hollywood likes. <laughs> right. It's, quite an, it's, it's got Amazon warriors, it's got uh, epic battles, heroes, and romance. So, yeah, it would, I think it would make a terrific movie if it ever got to that stage. But uh, it's also good reading, though. I think uh, from the feedback I've gotten, the people who do read this book uh, like it. And your goal was to endear Polixena to the reader. Yes. And this is where, um, um, well, it's a little complex. Polixena relates her story to Aphrodite, and she is thinking her story. She is not speaking it because by thinking her story um yeah i can have her uh, relate her thoughts right up to the last moment uh 
you know, just before her death. And, um, and it's, um, the, uh, in the end, I'm not going to say what it is because it's a very moving paragraph, sure. which, right. uh, in the, in the end, uh, she feels that, uh, Aphrodite has in fact, uh, blessed her. And, uh, it, um, it's, it, it's the, it's the tantamount to saying that the reader has fallen in love with the, the character. Is she jealous of Helen? She, in a different way. She's a younger generation than Helen, but she she notices how men continuously, um, uh, you know, get freaked out over her, spaced out, you know, all fall for her and are always willing to forgive her because of her beauty and um, even her father. And, yeah, that does sort of trouble her at times. But she's also Helen's friend. Yes, yes, they are friends, uh, and uh, but it's a friendship that's uh, you know that's uh, tainted by uh, some question questions. You know, well, what closing thought would you like to give us, Herb? Well, I think uh, I think uh, the object of the book was to get the reader emotionally involved with this character, and I think this actually happens. I, I think the reader um, reads about her and truly starts to like her, and uh, and uh, and in the end, I'm hoping that uh, actually uh, has fallen in love with the character. How do we get your book? You can get it through iUniverse or um, uh, Amazon or uh, Barnes and Noble. There's a there's a number of resources. Well, it sounds like it's meant for the big screen. I think I think it's a great great story, but you know every author feels. But I think I think this is um, I think the reader will enjoy this book. Well, thanks for being with us on iUniverse Radio, Herb. Okay, thank you. That was H. Allinger. He is the author of his book Polixena. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Girlfriend It is on Toginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. 
The girlfriend at principal was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out Girlfriended.com and then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have mm-hmm. somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, Girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Dr. Guilt, and the author is Dr. Everett Lovrian. And Dr. Lovrian joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Doctor. Good morning, Steve. This is a big controversy. Uh, you approach it in a very sensitive way, and we're going to have you explain that. But I just want to read a couple of things that you have written to just set the stage. You say this, a doctor prescribes medicine to save lives and prevent suffering, but the medicine is polluted with HIV, which leads to death. Could this have been prevented? So give us the background on that and, and why you wrote the book. Yes, I wrote the book because I was a physician responsible for persons who had hemophilia, and they their lives were greatly improved because they were relieved from suffering and disability and pain with the new medicine that came on the market. However, that medicine then resulted in the descent of a dark cloud when it was found out that some of these people became ill because they were infected with HIV, the human immunodeficiency virus that has then been shown to cause AIDS. So these people died, and I was a doctor who prescribed their medicine and therefore, I wanted to say to the families who survived their loved ones that I am sorry. I said this to acknowledge their sorrow. I couldn't bring back the persons who died, but I can acknowledge their sorrow, their pain, and their grief. And so that was the reason the book was written. As far as the way this all came about is that the persons who had hemophilia were giving a blood-derived uh, medicine that uh, turns out that the donors were infected with HIV, but they didn't know it. Then, then subsequently, it has been shown that the origin of their infection actually came from um, simian immunodeficiency virus, which is a virus that infects African green monkeys, Sudi Mangabe monkeys, and African chimpanzees doesn't make them ill, but it's there. And when these people, when, when the persons decided to make a polio vaccine, researchers, in 1955, the, those African monkeys were used as the source of tissue culture to grow the the polio virus. Then that those those persons who 
gave their time were inoculated with the vaccine from the polio virus, which contained SIV, but they didn't know it. And then 20 years later, those same donors were used to make the hepatitis B vaccine. So for 20 years, the SIV in the donors had been incubating and jumped a species that became HIV, which then they these donors were their blood was used to make the, the vaccine for hepatitis B, which was put into the African volunteers, and that's where AIDS became rampant in Africa. The people there were totally in, in <clears throat> innocent, didn't know anything about it, and some of these the people who became HIV as a result of jumping from SIV, then sold their plasma, and that is contaminated the medicine that was used to make hemophilia, and that's where it all came from. And the confusion about AIDS originating in Africa. <clears throat> well, AIDS actually originated in the United States. It, it, the source of AIDS, uh, HIV, came from SIV, which is in Africa, but they didn't have HIV in Africa until it was put into them as a result of the hepatitis B vaccine in 1975. Now, should you have known better, doctor, that this uh, treatment for hemophilia contained and was contaminated with HIV? Was there any way for you to know? Well, there was HIV, of course, when we started using this, had never been heard from. However, we did know that the medicine contained hepatitis virus, a human immuno, a human virus, and we gave it to them anyway, saying that there's a trade-off in medicine, that the benefits outweighed the hazards, and that turned out not to be true because those people who became hepatitis infected from the medicine, who survived AIDS, then subsequently have developed cancer of the liver because hepatitis B and C cause cancer of the liver if it's left in the body for a long time. So we didn't know, but we should have known, and could we have known? Well, we should have been aware that all medicine treatment contains hazards. And it was known since since the end of World War II that pooling plasma to make medicine is dangerous. And all plasma in after World War II, it was known that you could heat treat it and destroy the, the hepatitis B. And if it would have been used, it would have also <coughs> destroyed, <coughs> excuse me, have also destroyed HIV, even though we had never heard of it. So it could have been totally avoided. Now, your book uh, is a based on facts, is a novel, and you use a character named Ben to. Uh, show this uh, great controversy and show the problems and uh, you know you've you've changed a lot of names of places and living persons to protect their innocence but same time you've walked through this medical condition with Ben is that the way it's been done Yes, I, I knew Ben, uh, the, the, the Brent, excuse me, uh, I knew Brent as a child since he was nine months of age, 
<clears throat> until he died when he was eight. When he died when he was seventeen, I was his doctor. So when I first wrote this book, I wrote it for doctors, and it was quite dry and boring. So instead, <clears throat> I rewrote it as a as sort of a novel, although it doesn't have exactly the characteristics of all novels, but I use one central character, Brent, as a central character in the book and walk people through the journey of his life and introduce them to friends that he met who also had hemophilia, who he met either at the treatment center or in hemophilia camp. So he's a central figure and we follow his life. How do the parents children, husbands, uh, how do they feel about the doctors for this huge problem that has caused death? Well, we ask that. uh, My wife and I uh, went around and interviewed the families who survived, and of course I've kept track of them because I was their doctor. And so we asked them, uh, do you do you find the guilty, do you find the doctors guilty? And they all responded by saying, no, because you could, you didn't know, although you did harm, you didn't know you were doing harm, but they do blame the pharmaceutical companies. And that's a controversial area, too, because... <clears throat> the pharmaceutical companies did a great service of bringing out this medicine to change the lives of hemophilia. Before 1960, the life expectancy of a person with hemophilia was 11 years in the United States, and today it's almost normal because of the medicine. <clears throat> so they did a, do a great service, but unfortunately it was contaminated. So the the families are angry at the drug drug companies who made the medicine because they believe they sacrificed safety for profitability that is they were their major goal was to make money which is a healthy goal because it leads to new drugs new entrepreneurship but as an example of why they're angry is after the medicine was discovered to be polluted with HIV they medicine was withdrawn from the homes of the families <clears throat> and then it was <clears throat> Excuse me. Then it was sent overseas and jumped, in, dumped in Japan, Costa Rica, third world countries because they could sell it. And there, that's the evidence that the families say that drug companies are guilty of greed. So you have some feelings about how to best to handle this, especially in other countries. How, what would be the best way to handle, of uh, hopefully minimizing? the greed that perhaps, uh, you know, enters into uh, free marketing and capitalism in the United States? Well, free marketing and capitalism are a great benefit to America as as well as the rest of the world, and especially to the stockholders. We're protected in this country. We don't have to worry about bombings and terrorism. Well, we worry about it, but we're not confronted with it. And therefore, the pharmaceutical companies are protected, which allows them to make a handsome profit. And it's my uh, my feeling that, therefore, they should invest money in make in factories to make medicine in those countries that can't afford to purchase their expensive medicine. They should go there and set that up, as because in in those countries, the United States is a great 
consumer in the world, but it's also a great polluter, as all of our carbon dioxide in the atmosphere then is polluting the oceans, the fish are dying, the fishermen can't afford to make a living anymore, therefore they can't buy the medicine, and it's all because of, of, of part of our pollution in the world, and therefore I think we're obligated to help them by making factories for them to make their own medicine, because two-thirds of the people in the world can't afford the medicine made in the United States. So how do we regulate all of this? What is the best way to do that to prevent uh, sacrificing safety for profitability? Well, there there are measures already in place in our, our FDA and the Bureau of Biologicals. They have uh, measures in place to do that. However, uh, they're not always enforced. As an example, when it was discovered that there was a contaminant in the medicine for hemophilia, the federal government told the drug companies to clean up the medicine, to purify it. Well, they didn't do it. They told them again, and they still didn't do it. Therefore, the regulations are there, but they're not enforced. And the first step would be to enforce those regulations that already exist. Well, you have a a real mission of trying to help, especially teach, I think, uh, younger people to become critical thinkers to hopefully prevent these kinds of situations. Well, yes, I feel very strongly about that because our generation has been so involved in consumerism and profitability, and I think now we need to concentrate more on values of life, and that means critical thinking, and therefore we have to have our young people who are going to carry on after we're gone or retired, get our young people to be very involved, be aware of critical thinking. This has to begin in the elementary years, teaching people not just in medicine but all values about the importance of critical thinking, and that's very true in medicine, especially because our media is so saturated with advertisements that say, go ask your doctor for such and such medicine. Well, the, the doctors are the closest to the patients, not the drug companies, and the drug companies should not be advertising that way. When I was a young doctor, it was considered unethical to advertise, and I still feel that it is today. Well, especially when half the uh, advertisement tells you about all the hazards, hazards, possible hazards of taking it. Yeah. And I guess that just proves your point, too. There's just a lot of hazard in medical care. There certainly is. Everything has a, a profit as far as benefits, and it also has risks as far as hazards. And the medical community also should uh, espouse what you so proudly uh, tell everyone of the great privilege that you uh, have of being a doctor. It's very much, and this, my, my, my elevation to become a doctor, could, my circumstance of my childhood, this could only happen in America. I've lived in other countries. You couldn't, you couldn't become a doctor with my background, but you can in America, and therefore I believe that we have opportunities to repay society for that privilege. Doctor, tell us how to get your book. Uh, it's, it's available on... Uh, um, 
Barnes & Noble, <coughs> excuse me, as well as Amazon.com, or it can, it can be purchased directly from the publisher iUniverse, that's a little i, universe.com, and then scroll down for Dr. Gilt. And you're writing still. You're writing another one. Yes, I am. I enjoy writing. <laughs> well, very good. Well, Doctor, thanks so much for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you, Steve, for calling. The title of the book, Dr. Guilt, and the author is Dr. Everett Lovrian. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.